0: Amen. 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 Exodus chapter 20 tonight. Exodus chapter 20. Just a couple reminders again about the youth retreat that's coming up uh, to be signing up for that. And again, this Sunday marks our fourth anniversary in the building, not our anniversary as a church. That's the first Sunday of April. We'll be celebrating 13 years. In April, but this Sunday we celebrate four years in our building. We're going to have a special guest with us on Sunday in both services, uh, who will be sharing just for a couple minutes after each service. So we know you're not going to want to miss that. Again, Exodus chapter 20 uh, is pretty widely known as the chapter of the Ten Commandments, but it's so much more than that, and and. Part of the reason why it's so important to study the Bible in its context is, like we said last week in Exodus 19, why did God go to such effort to reveal himself in all of his greatness and glory that literally caused the Israelites to tremble? It was because he wanted to begin to shape their hearts and minds into a people that would continually reverence and respect him. Because only when we reverence and respect God will we listen to him and follow his word. So before he gives them his word of how to live, he wants to reveal his person to them. Hopefully so that they will so esteem him and so admire him value him, that the weight of his words are very heavy and they carry a lot of weight. So that's why 19 obviously comes before 20. And as I said, God has now delivered his people from bondage in Egypt after 430 years. He is leading them to the promised land. This great land of blessing that he wants to give them, but they are on their way. They have not arrived yet. They're on the journey. And on this journey, God wants to develop them from a nation of slaves into a nation of worshipers. And he wants to teach them about himself, his nature, his values and how to worship him. He leaves nothing to chance. It's not like you and I as human beings, Old Testament or New Testament, have to try to grope around and figure out, how do I get to God? How do I have a relationship with God? How do I please God? How do I live for God? No, he gives everything in his word. Even the prophet Micah in Micah 5.8 says, he has shown you, Oh, Israelites, what is good and what the Lord expects or requires of you? To love justice, to express mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. There again, the prophet is saying, he has shown you what he expects. He, he has shown you so that we don't have to guess about how we should be worshiping and living for our God. So let's look at chapter 20 tonight. First of all, the first two words. God. It is the Hebrew word Elohim. It speaks of the triune and true God. It was the same word that was used in the book of Genesis in the very first verse. In the beginning was God, Elohim. And that God created all of the universe. Ever since the beginning, he was revealing himself that he is one God expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is also the only true God. And God spoke all these words. Again, how thankful we should be that God speaks, that he communicates And that, like we were talking about Sunday, that we then should be dialing into his voice and listening to him. Communication is the lifeblood of any relationship. You and I know that as human beings. If we're going to have a vibrant, good relationship with anyone, there's got to be good, healthy communication back and forth. God always initiates it. But God wants us to respond in kind. And so I don't want us to pass over these two very important words too quickly. God spoke. I mean, even the writer of Hebrews picks up on this when he says, in time past, God spoke through the prophets and all of that. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son. His full and final revelation. God speaks to us. And he spoke to the Israelites all these words. Remember, he's taking a group of people who were enslaved for 430 years under another regime. All they had ever known was Egypt and the ways of Egypt and the religion of Egypt. I mean, they had their God, but they were so heavily influenced by the Egyptians around them that God had to come to them and he had to lay out all of these principles, if you will, of how to live, because now they were not in Egypt any longer. And now he was going to establish them as a very unique and distinct entity. There would be no nation like the nation of Israel. They would stand out, as we say, like a sore thumb on the landscape of the earth. Similarly, though the church in Israel are not the same, God is raising up a people of his own today, and he wants us, the church, to be so different and so distinct that we stand out, that we are conspicuous by the way that we live, and especially when it comes to the worship of our God. Verse 2, I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, the self-existing, eternal one. And I am Your God. Oh, don't miss that. That means a personal relationship has been established. I'm not just God, I'm your God. That's important. You see, God gives every one of us today that choice of whether we want to make God our God. He exists, He's there. He's revealing himself. He's expressing his love to us every day. But he wants a personal relationship so that he can be our God. And so that we can go through life with that that confidence that, that we have the Lord, that no matter what we face or what we go through, we have God on our side. And as Paul said to the Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loves us continually and unconditionally. Is he your God? The Lord is my shepherd. There's always this personalness. Yes, God is the God of us corporately here at the Oasis Church, and and he does call his people to come together and to live and minister in community, but he also wants to have a very personal, unique specific relationship with each and every one of us. He wants to be our God. He reminds them, I brought you out from the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. You were in bondage. You were held captive, but I set you free. And the same God that set the Israelites free from Egypt wants to set us free today. He wants to translate every human being from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. He wants to set us free, again, from the penalty, power, and one day from the very presence of sin. But he wants to not just bring us out, as we've said before, he wants to bring us in to something else of greater blessing. And throughout the book of Exodus, we are seeing that he wanted to bring them out of Egypt so that he could bring them into faith, so that he could bring them into fellowship, both with him and with one another, and so that he could bring them into freedom, real freedom, a freedom that can only be experienced when we follow the Lord wholeheartedly. So now he begins to express his own nature And he begins to share with them how he, God, is to be worshipped. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. God is saying to his people, Old and New Testament, I am the only true God. Therefore, I am worthy of your exclusive worship. I should be the only one that you worship you see, no other gods. Now, that would set Israel apart from all other nations on the earth. Every other nation was polytheistic, multiple gods. For God to say this to his people, it was huge. It was like, I'm it. You just worship me. In fact, down in verse 5, He reveals to them he is a jealous God. It simply means not in the negative way that we use the word jealousy. It means he's demanding exclusivity. He's saying, I can't have you worshiping anyone or anything else other than me, you see. And then in verse 4, he talks about don't make yourself any kind of carved image or likeness of anything because that's going to lead you to Worship this thing. You shall not bow down to it or serve it. Again, for I am the Lord your God, and I'm a jealous God. Then notice what he says about himself. He's a God who responds, literally in the Hebrew, to visit. As Nicole reminds us many times, God inhabits the praise of his people. It simply means he comes down and visits us and settles in here while we praise him. Amen. God loves to visit his people. And you say, Well, isn't God always here? Isn't he omnipresent? Doesn't he? Either? Yes. But when God comes to visit, he manifests his presence in an intentional, specific, and supernatural way. It's a way that he can be tangibly felt as he's working in and through our lives. And God is saying here, I will respond to you. If you do not listen to my word and follow me, I'll respond negatively. But later on in verse 6, he's going to tell them, I will also respond positively. I'm so glad our God responds to us. Again, think about your own relationships. How important it is that you have people in your life that respond to you. If we didn't have people who responded to us, to our feelings, to our emotions, to our moods, to all of that, you you need somebody in your life, even on a human level to be able to respond back and forth to. God is saying, I will be a God that will do that for you. I love that about our God. May we never take the fact that he not only is a God who communicates, but that he's a God who responds to us as we respond to him. That's sort of, again, the dynamic of worship, that as we respond to him, he responds to us, and it's a give and take back and forth. And so notice what God says. I will respond if you disobey to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generations. It is a reminder that our disobedience and our obedience have far-reaching effects for those who reject me. But, verse 6, I will also show covenant faithfulness, favor, kindness, goodness to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Responding God. Then, verse 7, he wants us as his people to value his name. There's something about the name of God. It is a name that we should never speak lightly of or take lightly, which is what the word vain means. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It means to be of no regard and to have little meaning. The name of the Lord is powerful. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. I love what Peter says to the man that he saw as he was going into the temple with John. He said, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. We know that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's something about that name. May we always have respect and reverence for the name of our God. And may even the name of Jesus be held in high esteem. Verse 8. God values us having a day that we set aside to come together as his people to praise him. He was instituting, even through the calendar system and the way he did things, a rhythm to life. And so he says in verse 8, be mindful to observe the Sabbath day and to set it apart as a holy, sacred day. Six days work. But on the seventh day, pause to praise me. For in six days, verse 11, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Not that he needed to rest. He was giving us a pattern of behavior. He was laying down, again, an example for us to follow. And notice, therefore, the Lord was going to attach a blessing to the Sabbath day and set it apart as Holy! We need to make sure that we are honoring the Lord by setting a day apart in our life to not do business as usual, but to honor the Lord by saying, Lord, this day is yours. I'm going to set it apart and come to your house with your people and worship you in a corporate way. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the Sabbath. Today, why do we worship him on Sunday? Because Sunday in the New Testament is called the Lord's Day. Beginning in the book of Acts with the start of the church, the church started to assemble and gather together on Sunday because it was the day of the Lord's resurrection. So every Sunday that you and I meet we are celebrating our risen Lord. We are saying to the world, he is alive, he's not dead. And we are here to worship him. In fact, out of the moral commands, if you will, or expectations of the Lord in the Ten Commandments, there's only one that is not repeated in the New Testament. It is, remember, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. And so God, rather than Saturday, calls his people beginning in the book of Acts to come together on Sunday rather than on Saturday. But God always held one day out of the week as a day that should be set apart as holy for his people to pause to praise him. Then we get to verse 12 through the rest of the commandments. And I want you to note something. The first commandments are all about our relationship with God. That's where it starts. Then the commandments go to our relationship with our fellow men. Why is it in that order? Because it is out of our relationship with God that we should live our relationship with others. If we get our relationship with God where it should be, our relationship with others then will fall into place. But God's got to come first. And that's where even as Christians, we go wrong a lot of times. We don't put God in his rightful place and therefore the relationships in our life aren't working out so well because God's not where he should be. When we put God first, then all the other things, even as Jesus said, will be added to you, and you'll start to see how the other relationships that you have in your life will go much better when we honor the Lord first. Now, the other thing we learn from the Ten Commandments is this. Our lives with God are not to be compartmentalized. There is no such thing with God as secular and sacred. All of life is to be lived before God. Therefore, our relationships with others is just as important as our relationship to God. It's all the same. Because again, God and our relationship and our worship of Him should be reflected in all of our life, not just a part of our life. Again, that's where many times we. Struggle today. We like say, well, I'll give God, I'll, I'll give you this part of my life, but the rest of this over here, this is mine to live however I want to. Amen. No. That's a total misunderstanding of who God is. That, that is someone who needs to grow in their reverence and respect of who God is and begin to esteem and value him for who he really is. Again, when we truly understand who he is, then we will more reverence and respect him and realize that we need to follow. Because here's the thing. Primarily, why God is giving these commands, especially to his people at this time, it's for their own provision and protection. Without these principles of living, they would end up in spiritual confusion and human exploitation. One of the things we have to keep in mind at this time in Israel's history, as they were coming out of slavery in Egypt, remember, they had no judicial system yet, no judges as of yet. They had no police force. They had nobody to create order in their society. Their society in order to be an orderly, civil society where they were all able to get along and and live with each other without consuming each other was going to have to be by following these commands of the Lord. They were good so so that his people could get the most out of life and that when things came up between each other, he was going to, as we're going to see beginning next week, going to give them very specific instructions about how to deal with every detail of life so that they could live peaceably and so that they could thrive and and feel protected and feel provided for rather than just out there trying to figure it out for themselves and living in chaos and disorder. God is a God of order. And everything that God gave his people was here designed to bring order into their lives. Remember, they're coming out of slavery. They had no freedom. Now all of a sudden with this newfound freedom, they could get off the rails real quick. And God's saying, no, no, we've got to bring order. That's why God is such a great example to parents a parent only loves a child when they create the boundaries and parameters and order to their household. Parents who just let their children do whatever they want to and sort of, as we say, rule the roost, that never works. And God is the greatest example of that. He couldn't just bring them out of, of Egypt, bring them into freedom and say, okay, have at it, figure it out for yourself. No. He gave them very specific instructions. This is my expectations, not only for your worship of me and your relationship with me, but then how your relationship with me and your worship of me will be reflected in every relationship in your life. Which is why God says, verse 13, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor because this only expresses selfish desire and lacks contentment on the part of the one who's seeking it. Then there's a change. Once again, we see God, beginning in verse 18, giving his people a glimpse of his greatness and glory to stir and shape within them an ongoing reverence and respect for him. All the people were seeing the thundering and lightning and heard the sound of the horn and saw the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled with fear and kept their distance. Notice even at this time in history, when they were just getting started, they realized we need a mediator. We need someone who's going to go before us to our God. We need somebody to be a bridge to our God. So that's why they spoke to Moses in verse 19 and said, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you or prove you through testing, that the fear of him may be before you so that you do not sin. The reason why God reveals himself in his greatness and in his glory is so, again, that his people might have a healthy respect and reverence for him. Because it's out of that reverence and respect that then we will follow and obey. Now verse 21. But the people kept their distance. But I love this. Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. The people were far off at this time. And God knew that And God didn't want them to stay there. And everything then that God was going to do from this time on in the book of Exodus, the creation of the tabernacle, the design of the tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle, the the institution of it, the ministry that within it, all of that was designed to bring those people who were distant closer to him. That's why Jesus came so that those of us who would have been kept at a distance without Christ now are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything that God does, the purpose behind it is, I not only want a relationship with you, I want to be close to you. I want you to be closer to me. I want you to be able to be as near to me as you want to be. So I'm going to remove every impediment, every obstacle, so that you can just get as close to me as possible. That's why I love that image in the Bible in the New Testament. And there's many that I love, but I love that one where John is literally laying his head on the chest of Jesus. Can you imagine laying your head on and and hearing the heartbeat of Jesus? the heartbeat for you and for me, the heartbeat for John. And John many times would refer himself as I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Obviously, he loved them all. But John, he got that. He he received that, that love that Jesus had for him and the fact that Jesus would allow him to lay his head upon his chest and hear that heartbeat. That's our God. That's the kind, again, of close, intimate, personal relationship that God wants to have. And Moses had it to a point at that point. That's why he drew near. I'm going to pick it up, actually, in verse 22 next week. I'm not done yet. But I want to end tonight with those two words, and I, I want them to just Settle in upon your hearts and minds. And they're the two words, drew near. I want those two words to call to you. I I want those two words to be in your heart and mind as words of God's invitation to you. Draw near to me. That's what James says. James 4, 8, draw near to me, God says, and I will draw near to you. Moses drew near to where God is, and God always wants us to draw closer and near to him, and we can. We can. In fact, we're not coming back to the book of Exodus. I want you to go over in closing tonight to the book of Hebrews. the the New Testament book that has more of the Old Testament in it than any other book. And I want you to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 10 tonight, and I want to end with this great passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. And I would encourage you, because we're not in the book of Hebrews right now, that if you have time to read this passage... Maybe read it once a day for a week. Meditate on it. You may even want to study it. That'd be great. Because there's so much in verses 19 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. But it's all about God's provision through Jesus so that you and I, as New Testament Christians, can draw near. Notice what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the fresh and living way, literally the freshly slaughtered way, which reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ, that he inaugurated for us through the curtain, we're going to study the tabernacle, that place where the holy place was separated from the holy of holies by a curtain, a very heavy curtain. And now the writer of the New Testament is telling us that heavy curtain was taken away through Christ, just as the veil of the temple was rent in two when Jesus died. That is, through his flesh. And verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what is it? Let us draw near with a sincere heart in the assurance that faith brings because we've had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and even more so because you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, may we never get over... (laughs) or take for granted that through Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his blood, God, we sinful, finite, frail, fragile human beings can come into the very, very presence of God. And we can stay there. And we can worship there. And we can live there. Oh, God, there's nothing like your presence. Even as we sung tonight, Lord, nothing else. Oh, there's nothing like being at the feet of Jesus. There's nothing like being in your presence. And God, it only creates and stirs within us who have not yet seen you Physically, to want to see you face-to-face more and more. That, Lord, the joy that we get out of your presence now, we can't even begin to imagine what the joy will be when we are actually in your physical presence one day. Know how we long and look forward to that day, God. But, Lord, until that day, may we continually draw near to you. May we continually, Lord, hear you saying to us, my son, my daughter, come to me. Draw near. Let's spend some time together today. Thank you, God, for not only creating us, for not only saving us, for not only sustaining us, God, but for being a God who is there with us every second of our life, every step that we take. You are glorious, Lord. You are greater than we could ever imagine. And we thank you, God, for the privilege and the honor and the opportunity, God, we have to be in your wonderful presence. Lord, may we go tonight in that presence. May we sleep in that presence. May we wake up tomorrow in that presence and live out our day tomorrow in that presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.